Party people, welcome to another edition of For the Players. My name is Kay Murdoch. I am joined by the usual suspects, my friends on this team at Proxima Studio, Harvey Newman, who is the head of the studio. Fellas, as usual, how are you all doing? It's been a while. Good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Good, good, good. Feeling, feeling a little fresher. Okay. No, since last we spoke, as, as usual, what's been going on? What have you been playing? Any new tech you want to talk about or things that have caught your eye in the, in the sphere of video games? So I, I, want to mention, I want to give a shout out to the game Dave the Diver. So I, yes. I, I saw an IG, right? I, I saw an IGN uh, piece. I played the game and I thought it was really good. The game mechanics, the, the whole like how they kind of like so simple, but yet so well done. And most good games are made that way, right? right? So if you think about Overwatch, if you think about Half-Life that we talked about in the last episode, mm-hmm. it feels simple. And when, when you play it, it feels effortless yet what goes on behind the scenes is really complex and um the game director actually did an interview with ign they asked him a bunch of questions about the game mechanics how he came up with the idea and all that stuff and it was really really awesome to see is another piece i'm always looking for inf- um, inspiration okay from other studios that are doing a good job and the best thing about it is that life life of p and also dave the diver are probably the first two games that came out that are narrative based out of South Korea because in South Korea the freemium games are so huge that basically they took over everything right so they're not used to having narrative based games so having these two guy T games being so popular just means that I think a lot more games are, are going to come out that are going to rock our socks wow. from South Korea and I cannot wait for it because if it's anything like Japan we are in for a treat board games are the best tool to teach you how to make video games there is no better tool especially if you play games such as warhammer or dnd that dungeons and dragons and things like that role-playing games like there's no no better game to, to show you like structure and narrative and balancing of players and enemies and things like you should absolutely t- study them there's many youtube videos out there about how you can learn how to play games how to develop games based on board games most of the time it's just a piece of paper and 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 like a, a, a pencil and you can actually develop a game that way there's also card games that are really right. good at doing that as well so yeah it's a great tool for anybody that is thinking about building their own video games um it's basically the same thing it's just more complex video games well yeah it's funny you all mentioning harvey you said that uh, you know that's a good template for anyone creating a visual or video game um, I had my first, uh, speaking of confessions, this is actually something I did do for the first time. Uh, a couple weeks ago or a couple months ago, I was on tour and I played my first D&D campaign uh, on tour. Uh, yeah. So, how awesome how, how was it? It, it? it was cool. It, was, it, wasn't like a, it wasn't like one of the main D&D games. It was an offshoot called Lords of Waterdeep. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't even know if you are someone hopefully watching the show or listening will be like, Oh, I know that game, but it it was cool for me because I'd always heard about the campaign and I've watched some, I've actually been to conventions and seen like really notable, like stars sit on stage and, and then broadcast it the way people go to like esports gaming and and watch the campaign. It's like a big deal. And it was a packed uh, venue in Texas. And I was like, I can't believe I'm here. Watching it the same yeah. way I'd be watching a sports game. People are just watching this D&D campaign play out. 
Uh, it's, it's huge. Crazy, and, uh, man. It was fun. It was yeah. fun. The RPG lover and me really had a lot of fun. Um, and I actually won. I yeah. almost won, which was nice too. Oh, nice. It didn't hurt that I almost won. So I was like, yeah, I want to play again. You know, uh, next time we so have good. a lot of time. So anyway. Yeah. Yeah. We need to we need to start a D and D like campaign here at Proxima at some point. <laughs> <laughs> um, whenever we actually have some more time, right. we'll be like, yeah, let's do that. Start a campaign that lasts the whole duration of the game. Right. So it can tell the story of our D&D campaign. It's going to be great. <laughs> it's it's so interesting. Oh, yeah. RP, RPGs, I feel like, especially as a person in, out here in the West who've played RPGs, like, I, it took me a long time to realize there were different subgenres of RPGs because what we mm. got. Uh, especially growing up playing Square before their Square Enix when it was Square Soft, it was mostly yeah. like Japanese traditional RPG, like the turn-based stuff. And then I started really getting into Shining Force and uh, Tactics, and like I that's those yeah. are my favorite RPGs, the war simulation, like tactical kind of RPGs. Then there's the yeah. uh, action adventure RPGs, like even with Final Fantasy the remake, how they got rid of it's like an active time gauge now, like. Yeah, 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 you know, and it just shows it's, you it's that different. the East is kind of like not, I don't want to say kowtowing to the West, but they've just yeah. like, okay, this is what most of the they people want more frenetic kind of like, you know, so we're going to get yeah, yeah, that. Yeah. So, you know, it's completely. I actually think that this boxing of things, like, like, is a good thing for the industry because it kind of like shows that we're growing. Right. Like putting things in boxes means that there is like a category for it. But I kind of miss a little bit of the times. Once again, we're going to go veer off into another conversation. <laughs> but I'm, I kind of miss the times where there was no boxes for games. I keep talking about this with like, you know, like if you, if you think about it, when PlayStation 1 or Nintendo, like when you played Mario or played Donkey Kong or played Zelda, there was no like, what, it, what type of game is this? Right. You just a game or oh, Metroid. Metroid was a first person shooter, right. but there was no, but it was, you, you never called it a first person shooter. You never called GoldenEye a first person shooter right. when you were playing it right. because it was just a game right. and that's it. And I think to me, and we need to make an episode about this. To me, I think boxing these things, even though it's beneficial for the games industry, is kind of like almost like a detriment for the creativity because there's no more Parappa the Rapper games. There's no more Jet Set Radio games. Games that don't fit in any box, you know. What do you call a Parappa the Rapper game? Is it a musical? Is it like a coordination game? Rhythm, is it a, a rhythm-based game? I don't a know. rhythm game? Yeah. Like, it's very difficult to box that game because it came at a, at a time there was no boxes before, right? Yeah. And I think we need more of that. We need more of those games that you go like, where does this fit? Yeah. Well, Today, fellas, uh, we're gonna kind of flip the script <laughs> for the first couple episodes oh, yeah. of this, <laughs> of, this yeah, yeah, yeah. Of, of this show thus far. And, and the goal is obviously long, for, like long term. We're always gonna have people featured, you know, usually on our team, but even outside too, you know, to come and give perspective mm -hmm. and talk about uh, the game, their their gaming experience and 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 stuff. But uh, today is different in the sense of usually I'm the one asking you know, you all the questions. And now I've been told uh, prior to recording, cause I was like, I don't really have anything to talk about today. And, and Harvey was like, that's great because I are going to interview me, I guess is the yep. plan or ask me. That's right. So, I'm going to, going to flip the script. Oh, this is great. Okay. So I am from Washington, DC. I'm a native Washingtonian, which you have to be very careful, especially for the game industry, because when you say Washingtonian, a lot of, you know, the games are in Seattle or in Washington, Redmond, Washington, but I'm on the East Coast, like where 
the government resides. Yay. So Oh wow. Yeah. <laughs> but that's but that's the games. Yes, yes. Oh my god, that would be so I didn't live too far from Bethesda. And actually, uh, before I get back into it, it's like I'm just going off a tangent. One of my ex-neighbors in Maryland was the weapons designer for Fallout. And I used to ask that dude every morning. I would see him walking his dog. I was like, so you created the fat man. You created like all these like you created the <laughs> rocket launcher. It was like the rocket launcher. I was like yeah. just enamored. This dude was like his his name was Dane. He was like so cool. He was like, yeah, man. Like he probably got so tired of me that he would just probably time walking his dog at a different time because I would always be out at the same time walking my dog and I would just pick his brain. But so anyway, thank you, Dane, for for tolerating me for the two years I was there asking you every morning, um, trying to get insight about uh, New Vegas and everything. So um, so, yes, I'm from Washington, D.C., uh, I grew up, my uncle is, a uh, was a pretty f- like famous radio disc jockey in the area. And it kind of at an early age, I was like, I want to be like him. So I, I got into communications and audio, but my path took me down where my uncle was a, a TV and radio personality in front of the camera. I kind of realized that I like to be behind the camera or behind the boards, the T, the audio board. And um, I got into um, just uh, working in sound. I, you know, went to college and majored in audio production. Uh, wound up getting a master's in audio technology uh, f- uh, actually a few years ago. So I just really love anything re- related to sound, which is why if you follow me on socials, it's Kyle Creates Audio. And it's not just because the K and C alliteration. I really do like audio and sound. I like, And I like t- storytelling through sound because I feel like if you can do that, the wor- the sky's the limit because if you know usually you're used to seeing things and having the thing visually tell your story but sound is so important to bolstering yep. what you see but beyond that if you strip away that and you're able to kind of uh you know get across whatever you're trying to convey through sound exclusively that's amazing so that's kind of like uh that's my passion you know that's so cool. Mm-hmm. So I have a follow up question yes. to that because that was a good answer. Uh, just Great so you question. don't escape. No, no, I'm not going to escape. You act like I'm going to say, all right, fellas, like, bye, like, peace. Like, no, I'm here. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, this is a great episode, fellas. Enough about myself. <laughs> no, 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 I'm, I'm here. Uh, I'm here so, for it. So I know, like, before we get into games, because obviously this is about games, so I want to, like, for people to understand that Kyle was also, when we first met many, many years ago, 20 (laughs) plus years ago, I think at this point, right? Yes. Um, Like, Kyle was actually a hip-hop producer, artist from a group called Panacea. Panacea. And if you actually notice, like, on his right, my left, uh, there's, like, a little poster right there of the the artwork of of his group. And it was a big, big deal. Uh, and I'm just going to fulfill this because obviously, you know, for background and um, you guys were signed to Rockus when they kind of like went back again. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We when were they, signed to Rockus, yeah. Rockus, yeah. So, so like I grew up in the 90s with a lot of hip hop and there was this brand like this label called Rockus Records. They actually signed people like Eminem and Common and Talib Kweli and all yeah. these other people, yeah. most deaf. And they were huge in the, like for people that were like underground hip hop, they were huge to me. So there was a rebirth of Rockus Records in around early 2000s. Mm-hmm. So they signed 
like Kyle's group as one of those groups to kind of come up. And another one was uh, the Procussions, yes. which is another group that is amazing. Shout yes. out to the Procussions because they are absolutely amazing. Stroh Elliott and Mr. Jamie Darius and stuff. Mm -hmm. So I followed Kyle. I had a, a hip hop blog and Kyle was incredibly, incredibly nice to us. He was one of the most down to earth, most like amazing person to deal with. And artists can be sometimes very picky and very diva, like no matter what, where they are. <laughs> And <laughs> Kyle was crazy. never that. Kyle, Kyle was never that. Kyle was, was always the real one, always there for us, helping us in anything we needed, helped us mix our mixtapes that we put together with different artists mm -hmm. and stuff. So can you tell people a little bit about your journey as an artist? Because that is actually important here oh, as well. Oh, man. Yeah, it is. It's pretty amazing that, yeah, that was... Uh, so Panacea, I started almost 20 years ago. Uh, with Raw Poetic, uh, he's my uh, he's MC and my collaborative partner. Um, and it's funny because back in the days of MySpace, that I guess to date ourselves, when we MySpace is how we got our record deal. Someone found us on MySpace, and that led to us getting eventually signed with uh, Rockus, who was distributed by Sony. So it was like amazing. Like we had a pretty major indie major deal, right? But back on MySpace, you remember how you could put like your little a lot of people put like quotes and descriptions in the top over like like the whatever the information so for panacea i used to put when tribe called quest meets final fantasy literally that was like the the, the hook <laughs> and, and i'm sure people were probably like what the hell like what what are you mashing up here man but it really and it was only because we had sensibilities of like that era of hip hop, like Tribe Called Quest, De La Soul, like very uh, jazzy and uh, dope hip hop. But like we're me and Jason are nerdy dudes, you know what I mean? And um, but the Final Fantasy aspect came from Kurt. Uh, Raw Poetic is a he read a lot of Kurt Vonnegut. He was a big poet, really into sci-fi and space. Uh, which is still something he continues in the themes of his own albums today. And so it was like the mix of just fantasy versus the hip hop, like the bridge of where that meets. Um, and it, I guess it kind of worked. I don't know if that was the thing that like when people stumbled upon our page, were like, what? I got to hear this now. Like when we weren't rapping about yeah. casting spells and stuff like that kind of uh, chocobos no, no, no. and shit, you know, like <laughs> chocobo <laughs> hip hop. Um, but yeah, so we had Panacea, had the record deal. Um, part of it was, I guess we got some attention. We got actually a lot more love over in the UK. Um, I, one year we, one of our oh, albums yeah. got like album of the year and like the, this magazine, which I still don't, I guess it's pretty big in the UK called hip hop connection, uh, which is equivalent oh, yeah, for yeah, those yeah, who really. listen in the States to the source magazine, hip hop connection. I was told was yeah. like the equivalent and we beat out like Kanye West to live quality Ghostface killer. Like our album was the number one voted album. And it's funny cause our, our album sales was the complete opposite of, of everyone. I just <laughs> mentioned, like we had a lot of critical acclaim, but unfortunately critical acclaim doesn't, it doesn't always translate to, uh, to coin. You know, it's yeah, like we had a great, like we had a lot of level up, but we didn't have a lot of like money to buy items. And I'm trying to video yep. game and uh, gamify it a little bit. <laughs> I, I like, obviously, I don't know if you're off too much of games, but like, you know what it was, at least from my perspective, what? being a fan. Yeah, what, why music, did you like us, man? 
<laughs> it was the, the originality of the sound and lyrics. It just came across as so original for the time. Mm. You know, like, for example, when you listen to a, a game, like, a, for example, you know, Samurai Champloo yeah, or yes. uh, Cowboy Bebop, yes. uh, for those that actually play game, play, like watch anime out there. Right. Like, those are anime. But just like every other anime, if you really think about it, there's been like samurai before, there's been like sci-fi, like, you know, with spaceships before. The only differentiator here is just the music. The soundtrack was hip hop, was jazz. And then the second one was like Samurai Champloo was more like hip hop and jazz, right? Right. And as soon as you actually change that dynamic there, all of a sudden the show sounds and looks much more different right. and it comes across much more authentic. Right. And that's what Panacea had that nobody else had. And even for us, it was our favorite album of the year where every time you guys released an album because that sound that yeah. you had and, you know what I mean? Like, and then the lyrics as well came across incredibly like, you know, deep and, you know, off the time and without without like swearing much or yes. without actually kind of like, like, you know, telling bad, talking bad yeah, about yeah, others. Yeah, yeah. Or anything yeah, yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. At, at that point, you have to remember, gangster hip hop was absolutely yeah. 50 Cent and the G Unit, and all these other people were actually top of their game. So for you guys to come across and just keeping it real, and we uh, were definitely when, when keeping we, it real because we did not have any of that. <laughs> we didn't. We weren't. So that's what it is. We were dudes from the suburbs of. Uh, Jason is from the suburbs of Virginia. I'm from the suburbs of Maryland. We used to just say we were from Washington D.C. because it seemed like a cooler, bigger city. Most people aren't going to know yeah. Silver Spring, Maryland. It doesn't. But Washington yeah. D.C. sounds cool, you know. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, we and we rapped about what we we weren't like we're nerds, you know. Uh, to this day, like that's I it. talked to this day to this day, like me and Jason still talk about like what. Uh, Final Fantasy 7 and playing through it and who found uh, what summons and stuff like it's crazy like almost 30 years later so we were just rapping about what we knew about and we were very imaginative and, and very uh, definitely lean heavy on uh, fantasy which is why I think and that came from being a gamer um, and why it, it, it like playing video games growing up was kind of like why am I not when I play a Final Fantasy or or any kind of RPG? I was like, why am I hearing the same recycle electronic or Japanese all, kind all of music? I was like, why yeah. can I hear like something with more rhythmic, like percussive, like a hip hop thing, but just done like more of a score? And so that's it. Um, one thing I used to do when I pl- there was two games I remember playing for, I guess Xbox. They were made by the studio called Miss Walker. One was called Blue Dragon, and the other one was called The Last Odyssey. I think that's right. And they were, they were great. Okay. They were great games. But I used to take my music and put it in as the music when you're exploring the map. So I would be playing. <laughs> so Blue Dragon was um, drawn by the uh, Kira Tor- uh, Toriyama, the guys known for Dragon Ball Z, mm, Chrono Trigger, and yeah, all that yeah. stuff. So I just remember running around a lot of times, and I would have my beats playing. I was like, this actually works. But I just never had the opportunity. And I used to go on social media like, is anyone ever need, in need of someone to try to score like a game uh, that maybe likes my style? This is my music. Let me know. And I had a couple times people hit me, but nothing ever came to fruition, which is why when you right. tell me you were working on a company and the ability to possibly work and do game audio, yeah, it was uh, a dream come true. So um, I know I'm kind of exactly. jumping way ahead, but. Well, tri- for me, it has to be Tribe Called Quest. If you if you see my 
tattoo i've oh tackle quest all day yeah it's very ashy but uh right, yeah yeah yeah, right yeah, here yeah as well so yeah. right there right there <laughs> yeah look, isn't that crazy so yeah right here um, <laughs> tribe called quest to me is is the goat like they you know so like i mean obviously i got them t- tattooed on my right arm so i better love them right but that album in particular midnight marauders which is hanging in the back of harvey's studio it was kind of like the blueprint uh as far as like I don't know, like those dudes, when I think about hip hoppers and like people I like could model myself after, I thought about them because they just seem like really cool cats. But the, instead of being from Maryland, they were from Queens, New York, you know, um, but they were like relatable in the sense of like they weren't talking yeah. about guns and, 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 and being misogynistic and stuff, but just telling stories and just dope jazzy dudes you know um de la soul is another one de la soul rest in peace uh dave who who passed away from de la soul that was a, yeah another one uh yeah. the roots rest big fan of the roots uh outcast you mentioned them um and even beyond hip-hop i guess my favorite producers in music were quincy jones um vangelis who's known uh mm-hmm. Greek uh, composer and pianist who's known for Chariots of Fire, Blade Runner. He's done the score for those movies. Uh, and there's a the the other guy who's like the triumvirate of producers outside of hip hop that I love is a guy named Ryuichi Sakamoto, who's most known for a uh, Japanese composer. Worked on everything from uh, Black Mirror from Netflix, but known for like The Last Emperor. Um, had a really big group in the 70s called Yellow Magic Orchestra that was like really known for pa- being pioneering in like electronic music. Um, so I don't know, like those are the people that kind of spoke to me that I wound up sampling a lot because that was the other thing. Most of the Panacea stuff, I leaned into sampling. Everyone knew like the same James Brown and jazz records. I was like, let me just sample like. St- stuff that's like folk music electronic music uh, mm. uh prog rock like and those kind of artists john anderson yes i i love all that stuff like so my background i always say it's a bad way of saying it i feel bad especially now that my daughters are like getting into learning music but i i say i'm a modern musician which is really my way of saying i don't know how to ha- I don't, my music theory has been learned by ear training and stuff and um and and by the help of technology uh to be very honest with you but i'm not one of those people who's averse to like when i riff and come up with some uh, motif i'll give it to someone who can really play and um you know collaborate with a real like drummer guitarist pianist uh and i've been thankful to have a lot of those people uh, in my world too. Like matter of fact, like we've always had live bands in Panacea. So like, it was awesome to hear the music I created in this drum machine as like a one man symphony play. Like you're playing the bass, you're playing this, uh, the chords, mm-hmm. you're playing this, this melody, like you're playing my drums. Like I always, if you look at any videos of old Panacea performances, I'm usually on stage la- smiling because it's it's surreal to me to hear the music that I created literally in a drum machine and a sampler come to life and be played. And people take the time to learn this stuff. And people say, man, this is dope. As opposed to like, oh my God, this is, this sample is so corny, dude. Like, it's just, you know what I mean? Like to tell me they, they think I'm a actually like good producer. It meant a lot. So yeah. So the one, so I grew up kind of like, well, this is the era of like when I would buy CDs and cassettes, I, you would be able to tangibly open up and read track list, right? So I would yeah. read what the producer, who they sample, and then if I was able to find out in a magazine, if they would have like a, a producer in a studio, 
I would be like, what is that sitting behind them? Or find out, or like listen for name drops because sometimes producers or MCs would be like, so-and-so on the so-and-so, you know what I mean? They would mention the specific drum machine or like type of equipment. So the one that was like really um, pervasive when I was coming up in the late 90s uh, was an uh, uh, Kai MPC 2000XL. MPC standing for, was well, changed. It used to be Mini awesome. Production Center. Now it's Music Production Center made by a Japanese company called Akai, but it started from a, a guy named Roger Lin who created a drum machine, electronic drum machine, which you've heard on Prince. Uh, I mean, you name it, any stuff that came out through the 80s that wasn't a real drummer was usually Roger Lin's drum machine or MPC. So the MPC started being able to uh, add sampling time in each iteration. So I remember this... Um, I, going in high school, I, I didn't have a lot of money. So the money I would save up, I would order from this place in New York called Upstairs Records. I always remember it's so random because this is the only, I, would, I ordered a drum machine. It was a package. It was a drum machine, a sampler, and a a, a turntable, a belt-driven turntable. And if anyone knows a belt-driven, you can't scratch on a belt-drive turntable. You need a direct-drive turntable. So I used to scratch it and wonder why my scratches didn't sound like DJ Premier or like the people I knew in hip hop. And then, yeah, it, it, it was, a, it was a, sh a shit show. Um, so anyway, when I got into college, I continued to like take whatever little money I had and buy some gear. And it wasn't until I got my refund check in college, my ju junior year, I think, or senior year, I took the money I was supposed to use to pay for where I was living it was like two thousand or two twenty five hundred dollars, which in ninety nine or two thousand was a lot of money. You know, I took that money, which was a substantial amount of money. And I, I remember I, I skipped class. I was supposed to be going to class. I jumped on the metro, took the bus up to the local music center and bought the same drum machine that I would see. The people I used to idolize like Pete Rock, DJ Premier, Jay Dilla, mm. the famous producers have. And I, I had no idea how to work it. I paid for it and bought that machine, went home and took off the rest of the week, didn't go to class. And I started making, that was my beat journey. Um, I, I taught myself how to use a, uh, I never read uh, the manual, that, which is a whole nother joke. I used to, actually when we came to England the first time, we were in a studio recording. And I remember the guy who, uh, owned the studio used to say RTFM, read the fucking manual. That was like the joke. <laughs> and I was like, I've never read the fucking manual in my life. Like I've always been like the type to be like, I learned by like trial and error or file and error as yeah. I was calling. Cause I lost a lot of files, not knowing how to fucking save like back in the day. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's how I, that, how I learned. So I've, uh, I, and it's to this day, a few years ago, I sold my NPC but then I went and bought one again just to have it doesn't even really work, but just to have it. And I my plan is at the next place we move, I'm gonna mount it on the wall the same way people mount deer busting like taxidermy. Yeah. For me, it's an accomplishment because that I wouldn't you wouldn't even be talking to me, Harvey, because that NPC yeah. model is Completely. what I learned to make uh, all the panacea stuff. All the panacea albums were done off the same NPC. Exactly. And a lot of artists feel like you, like Q-Tip, the album Renaissance. Yes, for, he was those, on the front cover with line. it. 
As yeah, looking up online, that he actually has it holding yep. like, over his head, yeah, uh, yep. just to kind of like symbolize that this is him and this is how he makes his music. Yep. And all the Trap Call Quest albums, all the, the songs that he produced, which have been many, he's yep. an amazing producer. Yep. Um, he used that machine, which is great. It's classic. Yep. So yeah, that's a that was my first yeah. piece of gear. Um, I've 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 definitely evolved. I'm uh. I still use computers, but they're it's my computer now. I use a DAW called Pro Tools um, that I've yeah. I've been using for 25 years too. But it's evolved in how I use it. I used to use it just to engineer, like mix the records. Now I do everything in Pro Tools, like uh, score movies, work on video game sound design for Proxima, um, yeah. make music. Um, you know. So anyway, and I That's and I really can't wait cool. till we have Johnny who's our composer come on because Johnny uses a different DAW called Logic, which is, you know, so yeah. that's a whole nother geeky episode. Exactly. Shout out to, to Johnny because yes. he'll come, all, come up here and talk about, all about music composing. Oh, he's dude. an amazing he's a, pianist. No, and, oh my God. That question you asked me, he's he yeah. can say yes. And Johnny is super talented. <laughs> he knows. Yes. Oh my God. He's, that he's dude. really, really good. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, I had I had one more question for Kyle, oh, yeah, but yeah. like, let's... Let, no, 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 but we can jump into that because it's actually less important. Uh, I was just going to ask, like, what are, what are Kyle's top five soundtracks for games? Oh, um, oh, I did not expect that. Oh, man. <laughs> ah, see? Oh, my. Are you thinking about this? Okay. Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, this, um, uh, this is that question that Kyle throws at us that about the future. Damn, about that the was alternative a good one. Future. Uh, all right, all right, all right. I'm going to uh, Final Fantasy... Set, uh, I'm not going to say 7 because 7 is like always there I'll say Final Fantasy well in, in the states it was 3 but I think it was 6 in in the in Japan uh, and oh, that's okay. the one that had Kefka and uh, okay. Kefka was the boss had like Gal, yep. Cyan, Shadow Celis um, yeah it was a huge yeah. cat, but the, the music the, just because the um that game was huge back then. It was a, a Super Nintendo game. And then it was yep. like, I don't know, I mean, spoiler alert, if you haven't played the game in 30, it's been 30 years, so I that's mean, a spoiler yeah, exactly. alert, right? But the game at one point <laughs> flips from the world of balance to the world of ruin, so a lot of the the the, the themes and cues get flipped too, which I thought was like amazing, yes. like that the person made like a complete, very different variation based on the world changing and basically falling to shit, you know what I mean? Um, nice. What's another one? Uh, so Chrono that, was your, that was your number five? Yeah, yeah. What's your number four? I feel like, damn, I'm just going to say five. I can't put them in order. <laughs> so I'm going to give you five. Uh, another sure. one would be uh, Chrono Trigger. Enough said. I mean, oh, yeah. Amazing. Chrono Trigger. Um, yeah. God, what's another one that I liked? Uh, you know, this is crazy. Did you ever remember a game called Lunar? The, uh, yes. For, for the Sega? One, the, the one that came out? No, uh, Actually, there's a new Lunar that came out recently. Okay. Um, this is the original yeah, RPG yeah, so back from, like, okay. I think Sega, uh, Sega CD. It was a Sega was a Sega CD game or... I don't know. But no, it was a it was a thing. It was, a, like, a, a, an, 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 uh, I think you just added on top of the... Oh, like, like, was it 32X or one of those kind of add-ons? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, I, I really like... Because it was CD quality. I never... Like, that was amazing to me. Um, I'm going to put Sonic CD... Son, another CD game. Oh. Sonic CD has yeah, some amazing Sonic soundtracks. Music. Were always the best soundtracks. Oh my god! And then a fifth game. Uh, <laughs> this is gonna. I don't know. This is just in my head because I was playing this game a lot during the pandemic. Right when my youngest 
got into video games and it's corny but I had to put something Nintendo in there and it's not what you all think it's not going to be a Metroid or a Mario or Zelda I'm going to say Yoshi's Crafted World for Nintendo Switch Oh, that's great. Had I some great music. Yeah, 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 yeah. To the point, yep, yep. I, I still, the other day, I caught my youngest humming, and I was like, is that Yoshi's Crafted World when you go into water? And she was like, Daddy. Like, you almost, like, I didn't know she was, like, amazed that I remember, or, like, turned off that I, I remembered it. So I was like, yeah, exactly. I remember us humming it as we played because the game is very co-op. She would just ride on mm. my, my Yoshi's back the whole time as I, like, did all the hard stuff. Um, so yeah. anyway, yeah, so Chrono Trigger, Final Fantasy II, Lunar, uh, what'd I say? Uh, Yoshi's Crafted World, and oh man, I forgot the fifth one. Uh, what'd I say? Oh, that's embarrassing. We have to rewind it. Yeah. We, this is why anyway, this is recorded. Well, yeah, but those, are, yeah, just go back. Those are my five. I, I'm pretty yeah. sure I said five. Uh, yeah. Well, when I met Harvey, as he mentioned, he was uh, running word, the blog in the UK, The Word is Bond. Uh, shout out to The Word is Bond. Like, Twib, as I like to say. Uh, did Twib, you all ever say absolutely. that too, Twib? Was it just yeah, me? I'm always trying to act like Twib. All okay, put things Inter- in. We thought it was internally only that people knew about Twib. Okay, okay. Glad that he actually made it outside. <laughs> but Harvey showed, Harvey and everyone at The Word is Bond. Shout out to Patty, Artie, uh, Camila. Those are the people who come to mind. Yes. There you go. Um, what is Bond? They showed so much love to Panacy and even my solo stuff. Matter of fact, I remember... I like It's on YouTube because I looked it up the other day. There's like videos of me that I hosted about like explaining my jobs as like a radio person an audio engineer music and it's just so laughable because yep. it was recorded back in like 2009 and i was like oh my god i remember where i lived the the, the quality it's like super low res i looked like a yep. sprite moving the whole time like you know what i mean like um 720p yeah it, <laughs> It, it was more like 480 lucky if i was yeah yeah it was bad but anyway um yeah harvey just showed mad love even when i came out later in 2011 uh i was on i came out with another artist who i produce um still to this day megaran and harvey came out mm. it was the first time i met harvey in person at the london anime con and we hung out we took some you had a camera with you that's how i knew you were like really yeah and and then we I came think, all cheated out I didn't even know at that time you had mentioned in casual conversation that you were into gaming and stuff like not only into gaming, but like worked in the industry. And I just, I don't know, maybe it was like a, I had to put like a bullet point, like a thumbnail in that, like for my brain be like, that's someone I should remember moving forward. And I think especially as I move forward in a little bit of, of the, um, getting in the industry, I knew I was like, wow, this Harvey stands out for a lot of reasons because it's not, it doesn't seem like that diverse of a, of an industry. No, it Um, isn't. And so, yeah, I I mean, I would just, you know, occasionally pick his brain and, and see like follow him on LinkedIn. And then as especially when you started doing your YouTube channel, it was amazing. I'm not even into animation and I follow your channel because it's just inspiring to hear you talk about your journey also, I think no matter what you do, gaming or otherwise, your passion is so inf- like infectious. Like, it's very clear to me yeah. that you you love what you want to do and that you you want to share your knowledge. And I think that's as a person who's gotten into education and going back to like my alma mater and teaching, like mm. it's important, especially when you're like one of the very few people who has a seat at the table to let people know like this is a viable thing. 
And I want to do my yeah. best to leverage what inside stuff I have to the next generation because I realize I'm not going to be doing this forever, you know. So it behooves it. me to be able to do that. And I, I kind of got, I not only kind of, I know I get that sense from you as well. So um, yeah. fast forward, just the casual LinkedIn thing was like, by the way, I'm starting my own games company. Six, I mean, more than that, nine months later, here we are. So that's my, yeah, my version that's of it. it. If you have one that's better and more succinct, please. <laughs> no, no, that was that was really well put together. I, I just think that the only thing I can add is about like Kyle's talent, like everybody in the team's talent is all about like, I think approximately I'm really want to like bring everybody that I either worked previously or enjoy working or I know they are talented and they have the same kind of attitude. And hopefully with this with this podcast, you start to understand why we actually gel together and why we are similar in a lot of ways, even though we have 